Hello everyone and welcome back to the AirPod, back after a week off and the shelves have been restocked with all the latest world news for us to go through. How are you doing Maggie? Refreshed? I'm so refreshed. I was, we were catching up about what we've been up to for the past couple weeks and I shared with Omid my really exciting news that now I am the proud mother to a loaf of sourdough bread. And it is probably <laughs> the biggest accomplishment I've made in years. <laughs> It's a, I've never baked one before, but I believe it takes a while to get the dough to right. You have to do something to it. Right? You have it to do, oh my gosh, how much time do we have? So let me just, I'm sure everyone's interested. So here was my big deal. I know also that I'm like seven months behind. It took me three lockdowns to finally get up the courage to get on the sourdough bandwagon. And I had some starter from a friend. But Owen, you actually have to, you have to feed the starter. So you have to like, it's like, it really is like a living thing that's a part of you. And I was feeding it like twice a day for a week to get it back alive again. And I was keeping it under our radiator for warmth. So my poor husband kept being like, what are you growing like in our bedroom right now? What is this jar that like you're checking every morning? (laughs) But after lovingly attending to it for more than a week, I'm happy to announce that it birthed a wonderful loaf of sourdough bread. Whole meal that still had the little bubbles. It still rose. Anyway, wow. that's more information than I have seen a picture of it, and it yeah. was quite the sight to behold. <laughs> Thank admit. you. It's always interesting to, to hear what people are getting up to in lockdown, especially at this point where I think we're really, yeah. the days are, are dragging out. In fact, we had a peek into the Duchess of Cambridge's third lockdown this week when she spoke about the challenges of parenting and homeschooling. We'll touch on that in a second. We'll also be looking at how the royal family marked Holocaust Day that took place this week. We heard from both Kate and Prince Charles about a number of issues important to them and of course to the day. We'll also be catching up with Prince Harry who not only called for social media reform in the past week, he also decried the siege on the capital. Uh, An interesting move for the Duke of Sussex, but this was all part of an essay for Fast Company magazine and quite insightful. So we'll be diving into that. And before we close out the show, can't be a week of the AirPod without talking about the latest scandal. This week was the Royal Family documentary that was banned, but briefly resurfaced online. Uh, Online, quickly enough for you and I to watch, right? Yeah, it's gone, but it was there briefly and amazing. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to talk about that because there's, especially after watching the episode of The Crown not yes. so long ago yeah, that yeah. told the story behind this BBC documentary that the royal family filmed in 1969. Yeah, some really interesting stuff. But before we get back to that, uh, we heard from the Duchess of Cambridge this week on a number of engagements, um, all taking place from her new office at Sandringham. Of course, we know the Cambridge family are holed up mm. at Anne Hall at the moment. And I think like most parents, it's quite nice to get out of the house. And <laughs> we heard from Buckingham Palace sources this week that Kate was allowed by the Queen uh, to use Sandringham House as an office for video calls during the second lockdown. I would imagine that probably keeps her away from the children that might make some noise in the background. <laughs> of course, with schools off here, they are with George and mm-hmm. Charlotte at the moment, as well as Louis. So their hands are definitely full. But during a call with a school here in England, Kate spoke about the challenges of parenting and homeschooling during the pandemic and also revealed that she's been cutting the children's hair uh, (laughs) as they've obviously got no access to barber shops or hair salons at the moment. As as parents, you've got the sort of the day-to-day, the day-to-day elements of of being a parent. But I I suppose during lockdown, we've had to take on additional 
roles that perhaps others around us in our communities or in our lives would have perhaps supported us and helped us with. So, you know, I've become a hairdresser this lockdown, <laughs> uh, much to um, my children's horror, <laughs> seeing my <laughs> cutting hair. Um, we've had to become, you know, teacher, you know, and I think I personally, you know, feel pulled in so many different directions. I think these video calls are always a great insight into Kate and, and, and what her, who her personality really is. I think it always she comes across as very relatable. We really hear a sort of different side to her mm. than perhaps the more polished Duchess that we see on uh, royal engagements. This is her in a slightly laid back surrounding and as it needed to be, because of course she was speaking with three parents whose children go to a school in northwest London. and. What was really interesting, I don't know about you, but this really stood out to me, Maggie, they all held up words that described what parenting was like during the pandemic. And some of the others held up challenging, patience, hectic. Kate held up the word exhausting mm. and admitted that uh, as long as, as well as the day-to-day -day elements of being a parent, uh, she'd really struggled with the additional roles uh, that had been brought into her life, including homeschooling. I'm sure some pe many people can relate to that. I mean, I just think of uh, what so many people in the UK and the US and around the world are going through and, and to see uh, Kate being very honest about that as well is so refreshing. And yes, I mean, a lot of people were quick to point out, well, I'm the one that's exhausted. I'm living in you know a one bedroom with multiple kids and working from home and I don't have any full-time help. Uh, how, you know, I'm the one that's exhausted. And I mean, yes, that that's also true. Um, Kate obviously has a, a lot of help um, and support. But that doesn't mean she can't also be exhausted. <laughs> you know, I think right now they're trying times for a lot of people. And I also appreciated her making the point that, you know, right now is a time to reach out to family and friends, to check on them, to make sure they're okay, uh, sort of reinforcing and, and, and bringing up the fact that mental health is another crisis that we're dealing with right now. And, you know, I'm sure many parents are dealing with that, uh, dealing with a crisis of mental health. And so bringing it up during this call with other parents saying, it's okay to admit that you're exhausted. It's okay to admit these times are really hard and you might be struggling and, and not to forget about other parents that are going through the exact same thing. You know, those are important things to, to say again and again. Mm. This conversation sort of came off the back of Kate's survey on early years development last year. And one of the topics that they touched on is parental loneliness, which I think the survey mm. showed had gone up uh, by more than double uh, to, when, compared to those who were surveyed before the pandemic and, of course, during. And one of the things they spoke about during the conversation is who's really helped them get through it. And again, they held up. Uh, signs, paper signs to say, you know, mm -hmm. the one person that they had kind of got them through all of this. And on Kate, she held up William. Mm -hmm. And I think that gave a great insight into just sort of how strong their relationship still is and how uh, sort of how they've handled the past nine months together. And in fact, we've really seen so much of them, but I think this is the most we've seen of them together on engagements in a long time. You know, I'd say 50% of their work or their calls that they do are happening at the same time. And mm -hmm. It shows sort of just how much they're leaning on each other for support. And I think we've noticed that with a lot of people, right? I mean, uh, this is obviously a time where uh, you hope people come together and really rely on each other. And especially when you're... <sighs> 
I don't want to say the word force that make it, makes it seem terrible omen but you know when you're literally required by law to spend time in your house with this other person that's kind of the time you know you have to show up and be there for each other and so that's really special that they found this and that she felt like that that was who she was going to hold up as this person that's helping her through this time and you know you just hope that that more people have that and it's great that they have that. There was a moment that made me laugh on the call when they had to talk about their sort of homeschooling skills and you know my heart sinks when I have to think about maybe having to do this one day because of course uh, certain things at school I was not very good at. Um, I think I'm on the same page as Kate with this one. I had to rate their (laughs) maths skills out of 10 and whilst everyone else gave gave themselves slightly more generous scores uh, she marked herself a minus five. (laughs) on the subject, uh, saying that it was not her strong point. I'm sure she's downplaying it too. I have a feeling she was is, was and is very smart. But I have to admit that like there was a difference between real life smarts too and then school smarts back in the day. And I even have little nieces and nephews and I see some of their assignments and I'm like, I don't even know what you're doing. Like I guess at some point I knew how to do that math equation, but I haven't had to do math equations in like years. And so it must be a shock for a lot of parents to all of a sudden be so hands-on with their kids schooling and have to relearn all the stuff they learned in seventh grade. Exactly. I um, certainly did not enjoy (laughs) doing that. Um, We did hear from Kate uh, on another engagement this week commemorating Holocaust Memorial Day that took place on Wednesday. She took part in a video call with Holocaust survivors and Holocaust Educational Trust Youth Ambassadors Mm. um, to talk with uh, two survivors that she'd actually met during a trip to Poland in 2017. Zicky Schipper and Manfred Goldberg uh, were both survivors. Kate had heard their stories um, a few years ago and wanted to check in with them to talk about the importance of educating the younger generation about the experiences of those who survived the Holocaust, but also to share uh, the true horrors of um, that period of time. And I think that was a real focus that we saw from members of the royal family on this particular Holocaust Memorial Day was the importance of keeping these stories alive. I think as we see many of the remaining survivors reach an age um, where these stories will slowly fade away, there is a sort of concerted effort being made um, by organisations such as the Holocaust Educational Trust to make sure that we still talk about these moments and honour these moments and their stories and their journeys every year. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, particularly with with Kate's work with this, is you know even what we saw from her earlier in the week talking to those other parents, and you know, she's obviously made um, childhood and child development such an important sort of backbone of her work as a royal, and it's great to see her bring that even into you know other aspects of her work as a royal Holocaust Remembrance Day, making sure you know the driving mission was to making sure that. She's, genera- she's helping uh, the younger generation, educating them about these atrocities that happened. And you know, she applauded both of these men for still speaking out. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're older men now to have to relive this nightmare uh, again and again. But she thanked them for doing that so that they could educate this younger generation and, and make sure that you know, kids growing up nowadays actually know what happened so they don't repeat those same mistakes. Um, there was just one uh, moment though, kind of, you know, um, 
more levity in the middle of, of such a, a, a sad and dark topic, but I loved that, you know, Kate was saying to the two men how much her and William loved meeting them, uh, like you said, back in 2017 in Poland. And, you know, one of the guys responded saying they, they loved meeting Kate and William either, and he called it uh, their meeting a highlight of their lives. Isn't that sweet? Oh, that's cute. I know. Like, oh, that made me, that's a sweet moment you guys all shared. I remember that engagement, actually. And, of course, uh, the, the two men that they spoke with are both close friends. And that friendship really comes across well, even in the footage that Kensington Palace released from the call this week. Um, we also, of course, heard from the Prince of Wales, Prince Charles, who spoke about... Um, I guess on a, on a similar subject, but slightly different uh, change in direction. So we've got the deeply worrying growth of fake news, um, urging people to challenge those who peddled unfounded conspiracy theories on Holocaust Memorial Day. Uh, it's not something we've actually heard members of the royal family, bar Prince Harry and the Duchess of Sussex, really touch on this sort of uh, um, arena of misinformation that exists uh, mostly online. Uh, but Charles, who's a patron of the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust, uh, spoke to um, a number of people through a virtual audience um, about the importance of really making sure that the right stories are being shared on days like this and that we all play an active role in, in, in making sure that uh, the false ones don't get mm. repeated. Yeah, you're right. It was really interesting. We've never really uh, heard him or other royals except Harry, as you said, speak out like this. And you know, he he really drove it home, calling out conspiracy theorists. You know, making sure that conspiracy theories about the Holocaust and in general do not get perpetrated uh, throughout the news. And it was pretty harsh language that he had. And it, I think it's really impactful and something to follow. If this is something that he also picks up as sort of uh, a, a tenant that he that he moves on and make sure it's something that he talks about more often, this battle against fake news and conspiracy. It seems to be something that is popping up more and more uh, that the royals are talking about. We've also seen reckless assaults on the truth and the deeply worrying growth of fake news and of irrational theories, not grounded in reality, but rooted in dark places of hatred and fear. We have seen reason rejected, objectivity abandoned, history discounted, even the Holocaust denied. As I speak, the last generation of living witnesses is tragically passing from this world. So the task of bearing witness falls to us. Yeah, we also saw video footage of Prince Charles and Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall, lighting uh, candles in memory mm. of Holocaust survivors, as many people did around the world on Holocaust Memorial Day. Uh, this was alongside footage of um, uh, Boris Johnson, our Prime Minister, and a number of political leaders who also read lines from a poem that were broadcast at the ceremony. And of course, the Duchess of Cambridge also supported uh, that day of remembrance and the ceremony as well. I think these are the moments where we probably would also normally hear something or see something from the Queen as well. But of course, I think everyone's kind of supporting each other within the royal family at this time. It's not easy for everyone to be everywhere or to be involved in everything, especially I think when it comes to the technical side of stuff. Yeah, and it's good to remember, too, that the they're doing this in the middle of this pandemic, and obviously that's what's dominating news headlines right now, but I do give them a lot of credit for not... Uh 
sort of ignoring everything else that's going on and, and making sure that days like this are still commemorated and you know there are so many important things going on. Obviously, we have to pay attention to the latest pandemic news, but it is good to see them being able to take a step aside and say, let's also mark this day and you know mark these memories and make sure that they remain important. Well, after the break, we'll be catching up with Prince Harry, who had quite an outspoken week when he spoke about the capital attacks, the tabloids and his and Meghan's future on social media. Welcome back. Well, it's been just over two weeks, almost three, after the Capitol attacks, and Prince Harry is speaking out on why social media platforms should actually be held accountable for what happened. In an interview with Fast Company magazine, uh, he spoke about the urge to change the way our social media platforms are governed and said the stakes are too high and time is running out. Uh, He was, of course, talking about the attacks, and this interview took place uh, sometime after the attack. Of course, after we had seen Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube suspend the accounts of Donald Trump and Apple and Amazon, uh, removing uh, apps such as Parler from their platforms and their app stores. And Harry said that there's no way to downplay this. He said this was a literal attack on democracy in the United States organised on social media, which is an issue of violent extremism. Now, it wasn't a surprise to hear Harry talking about these issues generally. Of course, he and Meghan are both working in their Archwell non-profit on tackling some of the biggest issues that social media companies are dealing with today, including misinformation, uh, racism, and many other issues of social injustices. But I think what was really interesting about this, and certainly what stood out to me, Maggie, and I'd love to hear your take, mm-hmm. was Harry speaking about something, an issue that was so very much an American issue. This was something that happened in the US. He is a Brit, a British royal. Um, how was that received? Well, it's interesting you say that because I, you know, I have to admit the first time I saw this, it, it was a little jarring just off the top because it, it's almost like I don't know where to place him right now. And, and, and it's interesting, you know, obviously he is British, but he marries an American and how is a son that, you know, is living in America. And to a certain extent, you know, that, that uh, he has every right then to uh, discuss what's happening in this new country that he has moved to with his wife and calls home. And on one hand, that's kind of, you know, what's great about America is that people really do come there from all over, you know, I, Everyone pretty much has come from somewhere else. And so uh, one of the beautiful things is being able to speak out about uh, where you live and freedom of speech. And he can, you know, uh, speak out against this if he wants. He's living there. It's totally his right. And what I thought was really interesting was he sort of addressed this issue because, you know, one of the things that people say is, in terms of especially of social media and and controlling social media is that it's a crackdown on free speech. Uh, but Harry, in in this interview with Fast Company, addressed that. You know, he he went on to say that he thought it was a false choice to say you have to pick between free speech or a more compassionate and trustworthy digital world. They are not mutually exclusive. And so I I, I think you know he recognized that. Um, 
difficulty with that conversation. You know, what is the line of free speech? What is the line of safety on the internet? And it also then delved, or he used, you know, this event to then become something bigger. He used this event on the Capitol, which may be seen as a very American-centric event, to dive into the greater world of of digital media and, and free speech on digital media and healthy speech on digital media. And so he definitely made it something that was almost bigger than the event, bigger than himself. And I think that's where his comments sort of really shone through that you know, he has experience in this medium. He knows also what it's like to try to survive the digital world. And uh, it's interesting just to see this becoming something that's so important to him and something we can are now consistently hearing him speak out about. Mm. Well, of course, they're able to speak about a lot of this from their own personal experience, not only with the tabloid harassment that they face, but the sort of e extension of that that continued online, not just on social media, but through uh, digital media news organisations as well, or the digital wing of. And, you know, that was something that he touched on in this uh, conversation as well, really talking about the harassment that the two of them faced. He said, I was really surprised to witness how my story had been told one way, my wife's story had been told one way, and then our union sparked something that made the telling of that story very different. Uh, he said, adding that the false narrative had led to their persecution. And, you know, I think that's something we've touched on many times, really, over the last couple of years. Um, I think the, the tabloids, certain sections of the media, certainly certain parts of, of social media really played a huge role in how Harry and Meghan's journey played out. And so you can't really blame them then for seeing this as such an important issue. But he does, of course, go on to say that this isn't just about them. It's also about many people, including those in much more vulnerable positions than them. And I think that they really want to be a voice for those that don't have access to conversations with the Silicon Valley leaders and the people really running the show when it comes to social media. And I think with the work that they are doing behind the scenes on Archwell, I think that they will make real change in, in this space. And they've certainly brought on some great minds to work with. You know, we heard about some of those partnerships in recent weeks. And I think that this is really just the start for him. Uh, I mean, Harry certainly found his voice, that's for sure. Do you think they're having conversations with big leaders in Silicon Valley? You make a good point that they, I mean, they have that power. They're, they're that big enough of a celebrity and are speaking out enough about this platform that I assume actually that a lot of, of uh, Silicon Valley social media leaders are, might be pretty interested in speaking with them. Yeah, well, I think, you know, we have to remember that uh, Harry and Meghan publicly supported the Stop Hate for Profit movement. Mm -hmm. and. They themselves said that they were not afraid to pick up the phone and actually speak with those working at these platforms and these social media organizations to have conversations or at least start conversations about these very issues. And so I think they're really kind of putting themselves on the line here. They're, they probably feel that they don't really have much to lose. They can kind of go at this guns blazing. And, you know, we've seen the sort of efforts that they've made to take on some of the issues that just exist uh, more locally here in the UK when it comes to our tabloid press. They've really become quite unafraid to take on those media titans that many figures, including most of the royal family, are usually far too afraid to ever try and challenge. And I think at this yeah. point, they clearly feel quite uh, emboldened to tackle these issues in a way that certainly when it comes to royal family, we haven't seen before.
You know, what I also loved, though, uh, about this interview is that um, obviously they, could, they, they have put it on themselves to sort of be the face of this and, and talk to those powerful leaders and, you know, stand up because they're able to. But they, they also gave advice to just kind of the everyday person. And a lot of the advice they give is, is really simple, um, but sometimes simple advice is the best kind. You know, he, uh, Harry was saying that when it comes to sort of um, using the digital world in a positive way, it starts with accountability. And he said, limiting the time you spend on social media, fact-checking, taking a more compassionate approach and tone when you post or comment are all things you can do. And yeah, that kind of, some of it sounds obvious, but it's also just a good gut check and reminder of the things that we all should be doing online. You know, is that comment you leave going to be nice? (laughs) What's the point of it if it's not? You know, it, it almost sounds so simple, but again, sometimes just the simple reminders and advice can be the most impactful. And so, you know, it's interesting to see them going sort of from the most baseline simple to also the, the potential meetings with the bigwigs that run these companies. Uh, they're kind of doing everything in between. I think certainly as users of social media, we as a society have become much more aware of the potential negative impact that it can have on us. And I don't know about you, but certainly I have days where I think like, you know what, I just, I'm not in the mood to look at this today. And I, cause I know I'm, I'm very honest with myself about how it can affect me personally. And I think a lot of people are sort of treating social media more like that, something that we don't need to sort of endlessly consume because obviously so much of it is, un, or all of it is unmoderated, ungoverned, and it, often leads to perhaps consuming content that we didn't even go on for. You know, I think, imagine if you just picked up your phone and used it for the purpose that you'd picked it up for and didn't do all the follow-on things like open Twitter afterwards, open Instagram and just... I don't know what you're talking about, Omid. <laughs> this feels busy targeting. bread, are you? <laughs> okay, this is a total tangent now, but I will say during one of my... Um, yeast mixing, bread making moments, (laughs) I was on my phone because I had to look up the recipe and I dropped it right in the dough. Just straight up phone, just covered in dough. Nice. So maybe that's a lesson to step away from the phone, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's when you really need to just perhaps put on airplane mode and leave it somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, get your phone out of the dough, Maggie. Well, in our last episode, we spoke about the reports that uh, claiming that Harry and Meghan were quitting social media. Yeah. Of course, at the time, I said that I'd spoken with a source close to the Sussexes who had really sort of written it all off as speculation. And it was great to hear Harry pretty much confirm that in this interview. Uh, they asked him about how his approach and how the, both of their approaches to social media may have changed in recent years. And He says, it's funny you should ask because ironically, we woke up one morning a couple of weeks ago to hear that a Rupert Murdoch newspaper said we're evidently quitting social media. (laughs) He said, that was news to us. Bearing in mind, we have no social media to quit, nor do we have, nor have we had for the past 10 months. And he went on to say that, you know, obviously, despite its documented ill, social media does obviously have this really powerful means of connecting us with communities and it's sort of vital for us as humans in in this particular day and age. But uh, right now, uh, they've they've sort of put all of their energy into sort of learning about the space and how they can help with some of the much needed change within that. Um, But they haven't sort of ruled out coming back. It's just sort of on ice at the moment. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I think they they were kind of referencing that maybe they'll come back if if 
the digital world becomes the thing that they want to see, right? So it's almost as if, like, I kind of got the feeling from the interview that um, for them to come back, it would have to take some changes. They're not, not going to say never. It's almost like they hope they will be able to come back, but they don't want to come back until it's a, a new world in digital media. Exactly. Well, hopefully it won't take too long. Yeah. I think the world is waiting for a new Archie photo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Priorities! Well, moving on, uh, this week we had an unexpected release of some royal history. History that had been banned by the Queen more than 50 years ago. A documentary about the royal family for the BBC, simply called Royal Family, uh, broadcast in 1969. It followed the royal family for a year. It was kind of like the first ever reality TV show You're filmed. right. It totally uh, this was. This was the Kardashians for a different era. And uh, <laughs> if you watch The Crown, you may have seen it appear as a plotline in the show. Uh, of course, they sort of went into how this was the brainchild of Prince Philip, who really wanted to come up with something to mm -hmm. uh, endear the public to the royal family and humanise themselves in a way. And of course, when it aired, or at least what the Crown tells us, and what we've heard from sources over the years, uh, the Queen was not a huge fan with how the royal family came across. I think the public reaction at the time was they're trying to look like they're normal, but it's pretty obvious that they're not. And so this documentary went into the vault and was never to be seen again until this week when it appeared on YouTube for I think a full 48 hours until I think desperate palace aides uh, worked <laughs> alongside the BBC to get this pulled down from the internet. Um, but I believe, Maggie, you've watched it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say I got the alert that it was online and the first reaction was, you better watch it now before it gets taken down. And I was, I think, most excited because of The Crown. You know, we've all watched just watched that episode where this was a focal point and they knew that it only aired once and they made a really big deal of saying it's never, you know, aired again. And uh, my, my biggest surprise was watching it and just one, um, there's always this weird moment when you watch The Crown because it seems like, in a weird way, this, these are fake people you're watching. And then so to, to put it in the context of this was this is real life, these people are still alive and are, 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 had, did this back in the day, it's kind of a, a, a mind warp, right? So for me even just, I think it's part of the opening sequence, but they show sort of the queen working and then it's down the hallway, Philip working. And I remember them doing that in The Crown and there they are in real life. And you know, you can just see them acting out the moments of them working and uh, it, it's kind of eerie. I feel almost like a voyeur, right? Like we're watching this this secret uh, unfolding, but I also cannot tear my eyes away. Well, I think, you know, this was really the only chance we have ever had to see uh, some of the more personal and intimate moments that the royal family enjoyed together, including those summers at Balmoral, uh, included video footage of uh, the Queen and Prince Philip enjoying a barbecue at their home in Balmoral and the barbecue is really the time when the royal family are as sort of paired back as you can get and you know I've heard from people that have worked at Balmoral at certain times over the years that Prince Philip literally will wear a cardigan with holes in it, the Queen is like bringing salads out in Tupperware boxes, they do the washing up really? themselves and 
these are some of the moments that we've actually got to see yeah, for the first time yeah. in this documentary. Now, I say the first time. This is not the first time it has actually leaked. Um, I believe it's been on the internet a few times over the years, and I saw a version of it at, maybe I shouldn't mention it, but at a well-known <laughs> library in the UK where it does You're actually leak it. exist. It, it the library is going to be very popular any time now. of the year and watch it. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, but it's fascinating viewing and I think if you're a Royal fan I probably shouldn't be advocating this but search online because it's definitely somewhere it's it's really incredible I have to say just there's something about watching this older footage it just it it, it sucks you in it kind of blows your mm. mind to, to to see this and uh, just imagine that all these people are just the queen today it was, you know, we got to see a glimpse at also the childhoods of some of, some mm, of the young royals. Of course, we yeah. saw Prince Charles water yeah. skiing. We saw Prince Edward uh, getting ice cream with his mum. We also saw, bizarrely, how at the age of nine, I think it was, Prince Andrew is being called Sir by his school teachers. Oh, which yeah. Just is all, gives us all kinds of insight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid so. Um, but yeah, as, as we say, the, the royal family felt at the time that it was just far too mm-hmm. intrusive and revealing. But I guess the question I have now is that perhaps at the time it was a step too far. But in today's age where we want to really kind of go behind the scenes with public figures, politicians, you know, even uh, those holding mm. the most powerful seats in government, around the world are still bringing in their followers via social media sort of behind the walls into their lives and that's something that i think that yeah we on, need to on one hand to. they were cutting edge yeah but then the fact that they pulled away from it i not only shows that the royal family is often quite afraid of change but i wonder if at, at a time like this whether a sort of 2.0 uh, return oh my gosh is this the like pitch for point? a new inside buckingham palace documentary because i would watch that <laughs> i would love that wow what if, I, they've um... been, what if they've been secretly working on one for the past like 40 years and it's going to be released like <laughs> I just imagine the queen like with a selfie camera like a her like a selfie stick and she gives a tour around the palace that would be <laughs> they amazing drop all 20 seasons of it on netflix oh in you wouldn't hear from us for months <laughs> like we're busy <laughs> Well, if you were one of the 25,000 or so people that did catch it on YouTube before it went down, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, you can write to myself and Maggie on Twitter, at Scoby or at Maggie Rooley. Just use the hashtag, the AirPod. And I think that kind of brings us to the end of the road for this week only, Maggie. This we will week. be back next Friday with a lot more royal news, um, including hopefully a couple of uh, new tidbits on the Sussexes and the work Ooh. that they're doing with Archwell. Um, so, until then, uh, you know, feel free to DM Maggie for any yeast raising advice. Guys, I have all of your <laughs> questions answered. I've made one loaf. I'm a professional. <laughs> maybe this. Maybe when lockdown's over, we need to do a, a luminary bakery trip. We, yes. Okay. Can we please? That's done. In the book. Something for everyone to look forward to. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll look after yourselves and each other. We'll be here waiting for you this time next week. And until then, goodbye.